Hey guys, Hassan here. Just very quickly before we start, Guillaume and I have partnered up with Automation Boutique to write a brand new ebook for you guys called Going Beyond the Buzzwords. It's an amazing ebook that goes through all the things about automation, data, and processing that just simplifies the topics just in the way that we do all the time in Corporate Treasury 101. To pick up your copy, just go into the show notes and click on the link or go to the website and find the partners page where we have a link to the ebook there as well with Automation Boutique. And then here's the episode. Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our full interview with Royston da Costa, where we discuss cybersecurity 101 for treasurers. In the episode of today, expect to learn. Why is it particularly crucial for treasurers to be well informed about cybersecurity? What are the potential impacts of cybercriminality when it comes to the money and payment processes of a company? Where cybersecurity played a decisive role in treasury operations at Ferguson or elsewhere? What are the fundamental measures or practices that treasurers should adopt? What are some advanced cybersecurity strategies that treasurers should consider implementing? And like always, much, much more. Royston has been absolutely lovely and definitely knows a lot about technology and cybersecurity as a member of the Treasury Dragons that was to be expected. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The best way you can support the podcast is to head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Corporate Treasury 101. That will mean the world to us and help more people learn about treasury. And with all that being said, please welcome Royston Da Costa. One of the risks that comes with all of the technology adoption, Royston, is cybersecurity. Yeah. Right. And it's probably also an area where uh, treasurers would like to be a bit more educated on or uh, should probably arguably should be more educated on uh, than today. Now, this isn't just the cybersecurity of, hey, make sure you don't click any links that come from random emails uh, or, you know, make sure that... You know, giving away sensitive information like your credit card details in an email or something like this. This is corporate cybersecurity, corporate treasury cybersecurity 101. So um, it's also become a bit of a buzzword as well. Though. So could you take us through the cybersecurity considerations that all treasurers should have in mind, um, knowing that we are moving into a more digital world? Yeah, that's a big question, actually. And to be honest with you, this should be... I think it is, frankly, um, one of the pillars for most corporates when it comes to security. I think it's important to also recognize the relationship between, and we're looking at treasury here specifically. I know you mentioned it's from a corporate perspective, but within that framework, you have to consider the relationship with IT. I think historically, it's always been a bit of a challenge in my experience when working with IT, trying to get the right level of support. And I ha now, you know, it was no different at, at Ferguson in my earlier days. And I managed to finally convince IT that the, the sort of approach they used to have is very much along the lines of how many users do you have in Treasury? And as you might be aware, most Treasury functions are very small. The average is probably four to five. 
And you compare that to one of our branches where IT will also support, and they say, well, we've got 100 people in that branch. Well, clearly, they are taking more priority than over your four. And that's how they used to praise it. Well, I managed to make them aware, certainly the senior um, person in charge, that it's not about the number of people that we employ, that are employed in Treasury. It's about the amount of risk. And you put a quantum to that risk, and they suddenly changed the game then. And then they began to recognize that actually we are a very important department. Not say we're important, more important than anyone else, but in terms of what the risks we manage. And so we escalated and, and we put on, you know, like a kind of top group for support. Why it's important and why I'm mentioning and spending time talking about this is because that was how our journey at Ferguson evolved. Cybersecurity, as much as it's the responsibility of every individual, in my view, it definitely has a very technical nuance to it, as you kind of alluded to earlier on, for the simple reason that most cybersecurity attacks do come from a corporate perspective in, in, in respect of business, uh, ransomware or, you know, sort of fish, uh, phishing emails, that sort of thing. And then we do rely on our IT department within Ferguson to block out the vast majority of those attacks, vast majority, but they still a lot, well, I say a lot, I would say, I want to say it's not significant because it is more like a small percentage of attacks that might get through. We, again, in, in Ferguson, manage some of that through training. Training is absolutely critical. And it doesn't, it's not one-off training. This is regular training in terms of, you know, at least annually. And if, you know, sometimes IT departments send out sort of test emails, if you like, if you're like if you're one of those people that constantly fail, then you'd be put on a you know sort of a, kind of a specific program to try and make sure that you know you're suitably educated that you don't make that mistake again. So the whole thing about link, you know, clicking on a link and, and so on and so forth is very important. But as you also alluded to, the, the whole cybersecurity space isn't just around clicking on a link or picking up that phone call and, and there's some good let's say material out there not only if you can get that from internally, hopefully from your IT department, from your banking partners, but also the, the governmental agencies that exist go on there and get that. But ultimately, my opinion is the best form of defense is around your processes. Because it doesn't matter how much technology you implement. If, for example, it's a very silly example, but I'll give it because it kind of is apt. You put your password on your screen, you know, post it. It could be the most secure technology in the world, but you've just, you know, given an opportunity to a criminal to get into your system. And those sort of instances are quite often ways of how scams and, and criminals are successful. So this is why I say your processes are critical and they, you need to be reviewed constantly because if you've got good, robust controls and processes, then I think the technology that you implement should supplement and only help to make those processes much more efficient, much more secure, and again, much more uh, easier to operate. Super clear, super, super clear. So what are, what are those processes, just, just on a fundamental level, Royston, if, if I was a treasurer that came to you to say, hey, Royston, I know nothing about cybersecurity, what, what's the first things I should look into? Give me the names and a two-line description about what those things are. So firewalls is an example that comes to mind or 
Trying yeah, that's a really, really good one. Is there any do you know what stuff that you would show? I wouldn't go into the technical stuff necessarily because, again, for me, and, and I forgot to mention this, you know, I, you know, I mentioned that I feel every individual is responsible in, within their company for remaining cyber secure to a degree. I also have this kind of uh, sort of visual way of how I map out the responsibilities. Uh, I see IT as being the gatekeeper for the company in terms of cybersecurity. So that's where your firewalls come in. But I'm not going to be, explain, be able to explain to you how technical they are and how good they are and what names they have. But I do know that they invest a fair bit of money, as do all of the big companies, Amazon, Google. You know, they're obviously customers using their 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 their, 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 their platforms. So they have to be secure and they put a lot of money into that. Then I see Treasury kind of in the middle in terms of where the users, we interact with IT because they kind of most either host uh, some of our technology or certainly supporters in that respect. But we are responsible to make sure, like I said, that we have controls and processes in place. And when I refer to processes, like you asked for examples, payments, right? If you're processing a payment, you want to make sure that the way that payments process, you have some say or certainly have segregation of duty when you are paying a supplier you want to make sure that you have again a separate group maybe outside of treasury if possible validating those suppliers independently not just going off the document that they've been given and then certainly within our uh, company we have a system that has what we call four eyes principle so that means that everything has to be approved by two people and we don't, certainly this is the way we uh, use the system, we don't have the ability to enter free format payments. So every payment we make has to be off a pre-approved uh, template. And that's, again, part of our control. So that's one example of how Treasury could be acting uh, sort of, you know, in, in trying to protect and trying to support their cybersecurity processes. Then you've got your external parties that you interact with, whether it be the vendor or your bank. Now, if it's a vendor, you'd expect and assume that their technology is secure. I mean, again, this comes back to how did you select your vendor? Did they pass all your requirements, your IT requirements, your requirements? You know, there's certain due diligence that all fintechs have to go through. It's actually quite stringent. SOC 1 certification, which is something that or, uh, you know, every cloud-based solution has to have. And this is just like a certificate that says, you know, they've been audited, they've got the right appropriate controls in place, that sort of thing. And the same with the banks, frankly. The banks also have to have certain certification in place to confirm that they are, from a technology perspective, compliant. But you'd expect the banks, being who they are, have their own very secure controls and processes in place. But the point I want to make here is, after the point you release the payment, then come the responsibility of the financial institution to make sure that they are, you know, they have the right procedures and processes in place to then effect the payment successfully. But it's so critical that that part that Treasury pay in the middle between these two parties is is absolutely secure and, you know, that we don't kind of ignore the processes we have need to be constantly reviewed. Do you have an example in Ferguson where cybersecurity played a big role in safeguarding company i mean if you whatever you can share i guess there are examples certainly where we've had uh potential attacks 
and they have not been successful. And typically, it's around payments. It usually is, you know, it seems to be the most popular example. Yeah. And this would be where, you know, they, you know, there are mirrored examples of the different types of attacks that you can get in terms of um, cyber fraud, like, you know, potentially, like I say, a fraudulent invoice. But, you know, say if you have the right processes in place, then you can easily worm out these fraudulent uh, companies. It's very sophisticated. I'm we're not sure how much, again, you can go to a lot of detail around this. So even when you look, uh, when you sort of, you get a, a wishing a scam, uh, which is a, someone calls you up purporting to be a bank or a particular vendor. And, you know, as I said early on, you you should really validate that, that those details are correct. But what can happen sometimes is if you ring, if you say, right, okay, I'm going to confirm first for the details are correct. And you try and call out using the same phone. Sometimes they can divert that call to themselves, to the scam or the fraudster. So you have to be very careful with, again, how your process works when you look to validate these sort of uh, types of examples. This is why I said, if you can, it's best to segregate who does what, because then for a fraudster, they're ringing, say, me in Treasury and expect me to act upon what they're saying. It's not going to happen because I'm not the person that's going to validate that particular payment or that particular beneficial supply detail. So this is, again, I hate to kind of harp on about it, but it's important, I think, any company to sit back and you get consultants out there that can help with this as well and look at your landscape, look at your processes from A to Z. It doesn't matter what size you are, how big or small you are. And then if you can't, if you're not going to use external consultants, try and objectively assess where you see the loop, where the loopholes so if like, you've got two people working in that treasury function and you're saying, well, I'm going to be the person that approves the payment, you're going to be the person that enters the payment, there's potential risks there. Now, there can be technology that you can have implemented where it's possible to sort of help not have as many people as, you, you know, as you'd like to segregate the roles. But at some point, you have to decide for yourself, um, is it worth the risk? Because that's always the issue when, you know, it's like any insurance policy, I guess, you know, you don't really know how much it's worth until you have to claim on it. I think everyone doesn't want to get to that place. So this is the cost I feel like you cannot really afford to ignore. Plus you could also, and we go into the bit of cybersecurity a bit more, there's cybersecurity insurance. And that's another really very good resource, believe it or not, in terms of helping you to become more protected and, and cyber aware for the simple reason that most reputable cyber insurance insurers offer free assessment as part of the relationship or part of the premium. So they will come in and assess where your loopholes or your risks are. And then you have that choice. And, and not only from the perspective of what, you need to ensure, but also from perspective, how do you mitigate that risk? Yeah. I think we can never emphasize enough how critical it is to prevent uh, cyber criminality, especially in treasury. When I think that treasury is the place, if we are the custodian of cash, then we are the primary focus of this type of organization who would like to get into 
a company system because the whole point of cyber criminality is money and treasury is where money is managed. So I see personal data and clients' data being probably as, if not more sensitive even. But since this is where all the payments go through at least, if not are managed by where all the money and the access to money is uh, organized, treasury definitely is one of the potential primary targets of cyber criminality. Beyond the basics, Royston, what are some advanced cybersecurity strategies that treasurers uh, can or should consider implementing when it comes to fighting cybercrime? <laughs> Do you know, it's a good question, but so it depends how much you want to spend, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it always comes down to this. I mean, I personally wouldn't necessarily look, I'll answer the question, but I, I wouldn't necessarily go there at, at the outset because as I said before, the technical side of cybersecurity, I would definitely default to IT. So I would rely on my IT department to provide uh, us with the tools that they do and the infrastructure for us to operate in a very safe and secure way. It's not really my job or Treasury's job to go out looking for software that's going to protect us in terms of, you know, sort of from a technical perspective. When I look at a solution, let's say treasure management solution, of course, I'm very interested to know that it's cyber secure from the perspective that I say it has the SOC 1 certification. But then I look at my controls and my processes internally. And I think to myself, is this solution going to enable me to implement these controls and to operate these controls uh, successfully? Because that's what it's doing. It's not the solution itself is not selling itself as saying we're going to protect you from the, the from cybersecurity full stop. Because as I said before, it relies on how you also act and how you can you know sort of maintain all your kind of say your password and so on and so forth. But there are solutions out there where they would um, certainly assist companies with how you can reduce the risk of being a victim. For, for example, around payment patterns, I'm thinking more now of a shared service center, accounts payable, that sort of thing, which doesn't always have to come under Treasury's remit, frankly. And then also thinking of data, you mentioned data, your supply data. So there are solutions out there that can help you to manage your supply data, you know, sort of uh, vendor validation as well. And, and these are very important because, you know, again, uh, you know, it's really, you're, you're really responsible for, for making sure, let's say, that you pay to the correct supplier. But the degree to which I, you know, you say, or someone could say, there's a magic solution out there that would somehow, you know, you just press a button and implement it, and suddenly covers you in this sort of insurance uh, bubble. I, I don't think that's either exists or it's necessarily helpful, because I think what you want to avoid is treasury getting into a situation where you don't have to think about the sort of potential risks that exist out there the minute you do that that's the time when you become a victim so i think the basics and i, I and as much as i'm a big fan of technology i still believe very much in the basics we need to understand what the basics are about how you manage risk and you know how you know sort of treasury 101 works but technology is an enabler it's a tool, and that's how we should use it. But that does not, um, you know, ex um, exonerate us from from 
you know, knowing how to manage that risk and how to do it in the most efficient manner. There are companies that I, I could name, but I'm not sure whether it's something that you want in this podcast there. No, happy to. If you have a, so if that could bring good value and insight and you believe those are uh, trustworthy and good companies, 100% feel free. So, so which ones are you thinking of? One, uh, Royce? one company I've come across is called NS Knox and they're quite strong on in terms of cybersecurity and they are actually particularly good in, in this particular area you just described, particularly if you're a smaller company and you haven't got, like you said, the necessary security or whatever, they're very strong in that. NS Knox and then they, yeah, they, they certainly, I've known them for a few years and I can't network with them, but we don't actually use their software because they say we're a large company, we're based in North America and we have other providers already, but they're, they're certainly very good. And they just, they also reach out to, to a number of treasures at treasury conferences. That's why I know them quite well. Yeah, no, that's very good. We'll put a, a link in the description for people who would like to check out NS Docs, um, if that's something uh, you would be interested in. Royston, so obviously, we can imagine that with technology evolving, cybercrime is evolving as fast, is not faster than the technology to prevent it. So how can people keep up to date with the latest advancements? And so where would you recommend treasurers to go and stay updated uh, and ensure that departments are protected against emerging threats? No, it's good. That's a great question. Absolutely. So I sometimes, when I, when you ask that sort of question, I have to assume, and it's unrealistic, I know, but I'm one person, I'm the only person in treasury and I have very limited access to resources that I personally, I know. So my first port of call, believe it or not, would be a bank because I'm sure every corporate, no matter how small or big you are, you have to have some sort of financial institution. Now, hopefully that, that bank or financial institution has some extended resource they can share with you or at least invite you to. If that's not possible, go back on the internet and I would go to the main governmental website, website cybercrime websites that exist you can you can find them quite easily you know just you know just write look on the internet but also there's resources as i say apart from your podcast there's a you can go to if you can get attend a conference or sometimes webinar banks are what quite often put webinars on about how uh, to combat cybercrime it just would depend really in terms of how and what how far you want to go and how much material you're willing to to look to, to kind of read because there's a, a copious amount of material. I, with Bellin, four or five years ago, published a brochure, if you like, on cybersecurity, all the main sort of the main scams of the time, and what's best practice. We actually, in Ferguson, quite proud about it, won an award for the best cybersecurity solution back in 2019, I think. But again, it's because we collaborate internally and we always looking to try and ensure that we are using you know, the most appropriate, most efficient, most cyber-secure protocols and, and processes. But the, the whole, con and, and this is what's interesting to me, when I first came across the, the topic of cybersecurity in terms of in treasury world, I noticed there was a stigma attached to it. Not many people, treasurers, wanted to talk about it for the simple reason that were worried that it may look bad if they admitted to being a victim. 
soon as that was demolished, I think, frankly, nowadays, no one can say they're not a victim because if you do say you're not a victim, then most people will say, actually, it's not the fact that you're not a victim. We just haven't realized it yet. It's, you know, it's insidious. But the point being here is I think now that it's much more accepted and more treasures are collaborating and discussing more openly about the sort of, like I am, frankly, the sort of uh, steps they've taken to, to, to combat cyber fraud and what's what's available out there. I think that's also quite important is don't feel shy about going on LinkedIn or, you know, trying to reach out to myself, for example, uh, if you want to know more about cyber security.